0: everyone happy tuesday um i am in my car on my way to an appointment in mission viejo california which is like in orange county um for those of you who don't live anywhere near here and, and could care less <laughs> um, anyways uh my morning got a little tied up today so i wasn't able to do my recording in the house um but i wanted to get something out for you so i'm gonna be recording in my car so please forgive any uh maybe like little rattles or anything that might be going on my ladder's in the back uh you know, uh, just just the sounds of driving, but anyways, um, there was uh, there's two things that I was thinking about chatting about today. Uh, the first one is really about understanding like how many people are actually impacted by environmental issues. Um, in February, I was invited to come do a uh, presentation, a training seminar for the Indoor Air Quality Association, which is the biggest association for uh, like the indoor air quality industry. So it's the biggest one. They do an annual meeting every year, and uh, this year they asked me to come out uh, along with my uh, with my friend and my cousin actually, Mike Rubino, who runs a remediation company out of the uh, New Jersey tri-state area. So uh, we were basically coming to talk about, or asked to come in to talk about remediation specifically for hypersensitive people, um, what the process looks like, how it's different than maybe some of the normal remediation practices and that sort of thing. And it was really cool because, uh, you know, this is like a, a training weekend, right? So there's there's multiple, Uh, training sessions going on at every time so think you have like an hour time block essentially and then there's three rooms that are running different presentations in each room and so the attendees essentially register for whichever one that they're going to go to um and and so you know whenever you go to these uh conferences and these shows same thing happens at medical conferences you see which doctors are talking about which topic that's interesting to you and you kind of plan out your day it's almost like when you go to disneyland uh and you know that you only have a day and so you say, okay, what, what's the first ride that I want to go on? What's the second ride? Where am I going to get a fast pass and then kind of skip that and go over to the next thing? So you're kind of like planning out your day and mapping it out. Uh, for me, side note for Disneyland, it's always start with Space Mountain. <laughs> that's always number one. Um, but anyways, uh, so, so that's kind of what happens at these things. And uh, my training session ended up having the most attendees of any session throughout the entire long weekend of the whole event which was pretty awesome. So I was pretty excited. Uh, it definitely looked like that it was something that people were interested in which is good. Uh, it means that from the industry perspective that people are at least open to learning about this about a process that works for mold sensitive people and that's a good thing because I you know I guarantee you five years ago if I wanted to do this presentation nobody would even be in there right. Nobody would care to learn about it. They would think it was all crazy. They would think that none of it is relevant for them right so just the fact that it was the most highly attended uh course of the whole session is is a good sign from the industry perspective uh when it comes to you guys right so when you're trying to find people to work with you so that's a good thing um anyway so when i was putting this presentation together i was trying to think i wanted to frame thing i wanted to set up the whole presentation in a way that really showed the need for what I was going to be talking about see a lot of people in our industry they think that when they're uh, working with someone who's mold sensitive or hypersensitive because they're not really tapped into that network of people um, you know they might just get one or two uh, clients that might fall into that boat every now and then just because they're not you know kind of a typical reference source for the doctors or whoever you know whoever found them and so they because of that they think that this one or two clients of theirs, they think that they're a hassle. They think that they're crazy. They they feel like they're being asked to do things that aren't necessary, and and because of that, that these uh, the remediators on the industry side a lot of times, specifically the ones that don't focus on on hypersensitive people. They kind of think that it's not a big issue they think every now and then like i found one client i've had another client that was a nut job that was crazy whatever and they made me do all this stuff and it was annoying and i never want to work with those people again right that's kind of what they think so i knew my challenge at the beginning of this presentation was to figure out how to show them that that's not the case right if you're listening to this you know that's not the case you know that there's a much larger need for this um but our industry doesn't necessarily know that so that's what i was trying to figure out to do at the beginning so What I did is I went through just four of the kind of major health conditions that I'm aware of, and I'm sure there's other ones that I don't even know of, um, that I know are sensitive to mold. Right. And I know that creates a sensitivity to mold exposure. It doesn't have to be toxic mold. It doesn't have to be mold toxins. Just literally mold exposure, environmental exposure can trigger this stuff. And so that's where I wanted to start. And I wanted to see how many people that actually was. Right. So the four that I looked at were uh, SIRS, which is chronic inflammatory response syndrome, uh, Lyme disease, uh, autoimmune diseases kind of lumped together. Uh, And then PANS and PANDAS, which is pediatric uh, neurological issues. Um, So I looked at those four things. Those are are four of the big ones that that I know of. Um, And there are different associations that are kind of tied to each one. So, um, or, or ways for me to find general population estimates. So that's what I did. So I went through all of them, I added them all up, and then I took that and I divided into the entire U.S. population to see what the percentage was. And I'm gonna give you like a two second pause. I want you to just guess to yourself, what do you think that percentage is, okay? So here we go, we're gonna pause right now. Okay, so um, I'm gonna tell you in a second. I think a lot of you probably guessed around 25%. That's what I think that a lot of you guessed. And I think the reason that we guessed that is because that's the number that was really publicized from Dr. Richie Shoemaker, specifically for SIRS, which is chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So we know that 25% of the population—think it's actually 24%—has um, a genetic uh, predisposition due to the HLA gene that makes us more susceptible to environmental exposure. So that's something that we knew, uh, you know, probably more easily. So then, I, but then I went and I added up all the other stuff. When you put it all together, that's 40% of the entire U.S. population has some sort of health condition that falls into just one of these four categories. And believe me, there's other things, right? I'm, not, I'm definitely not gonna claim to be the expert on the health side of things, but I know that these four, are some of the four big categories, and that is 40% of the US population. So think about that. I mean, this, is, this isn't a minority of people, and this is what I was trying to get across at this presentation. And so the way that I did this, first I showed the numbers, right? So I had one slide and it showed uh, SIRS, another slide and it showed Lyme disease. I did that for all four. And then I did a total. And the total, I think, I want to say was 139 million. Um, I don't totally remember. I haven't looked at it in a while. And then I showed what the percentage was. And it was about 40% of the U.S. population. And then to really hammer it home, I showed a picture, this like really high-res picture of, um, of uh uh, what's the name of the, uh, the Boston Red Sox baseball stadium? I just totally blanked on it right now. Um, but anyways, I showed that baseball stadium. There's a cool picture of it. And I said, all right, guys, so now we know all these numbers, right? So look at this picture. 40% of the people at this baseball game are susceptible and more sensitive to mold exposure than your quote normal person. Right. So we have to change our mindset that it's not like normal people versus people that aren't normal. Like this is a very normal thing. It's basically half of the entire U.S. that has sensitivities to mold. Now, the problem is that a lot of them don't know about it. Right. So just because you have certain uh, maybe you haven't even been diagnosed yet or if you have been diagnosed, you haven't found the doctor that's that's kind of put the pieces together and connected the dots for you to let you understand that mold exposure and and these health conditions are a problem right so not everyone of the 40 percent of those people in the baseball stadium knew about it but that doesn't mean that it's not an issue for them and so this was really the visual i used to set it up i probably took about 10 minutes at the beginning of this presentation so i only had 60 minutes so you know i spent a good chunk almost 20 percent of this presentation literally trying to set the stage for why what we were gonna be sharing was so important and why they needed to be listening to it and at least be considering it. And I think that that ended up working out pretty well because after the presentation, a bunch of people stayed. There was a line of people waiting to ask myself and Mike questions. Um, and it was cool because they were questioning some of, the, some of the items and the specific steps in our remediation protocols, which is great, right? If they're questioning it, that means they're trying to understand like why you're doing it and the effect that it has and what order you do it in. And that's awesome, right? And you know, not everyone agreed, but at the end of the day, uh, I, you know, everybody was open to it and there was a lot of interaction. And so I think with that said. Uh, One, I feel like it was a success in terms of the presentation, but two, I wanted you guys to understand the true breadth of how many people are truly impacted by this stuff, right? I think a lot of you have a good idea just from the different social groups that you're in and that stuff, but you know, when when you see it just kind of put together in numbers like that, and you have, I mean, 40% of the US, the point of this is to let you guys know that you're not alone in this, okay? There's a lot of people that are dealing with this. And, you know, not all of them know it, but don't think that you're, you know, a weirdo or there's something wrong with you or whatever. The reality is that just the mass population has a variety of different health conditions and things impact those health conditions. And we just have to understand that and then, you know, make the good decisions that we need to moving forward off of that. So um, anyways, yeah, that that was just the first piece of this stuff I wanted to share with you. So hopefully you found that kind of interesting. Okay, so now that we uh, have thought through just the sheer number of people that are impacted by this, I wanted to share something else with you guys. Um, I sent this out to my uh, MoldFinder subscribers uh, uh, via email. I think last week I sent out an email about this, but it just, uh, you know, just kind of tied into what I was talking about. So I'll talk about it here too. Um, And that is, (laughs) I think the title of the email is... uh, you can't trust the CDC about mold or something like that. I forget what the title of the email was, but here's the deal. So we just talked about how many people are impacted by this stuff, right? Um, If you listen back to one of the very first episodes of the show, um, I talked about the, uh, the new mold truth adoption model and where we are in terms of like the information that we have at hand, the research that's available versus where we are in terms of the mainstream population and the government actually acknowledging that type of information. And we're in this weird spot right now where there's a whole bunch of information out there talking about the health effects of mold, talking about how it moves throughout the environment and how testing should actually be handled and inspection should be handled. But none of that is actually being um, recognized really by the government. And so there's this disconnect there. And if you go back and listen to that episode, I talk through like every stage of how like a new idea becomes some crazy idea from some crazy dude to just the uh, accepted kind of norm and how long that process takes and the ups and downs that happen in that process. And I use the example of cigarettes and essentially the process took like close to a hundred years or something like that, uh, to become a mainstream truth. And at the end of that, if you want to dive into it some more, but I posed the question like, do we want to wait? basically from where we are right now which is phase two to get to phase four where there's actually any action that's being done it's like 50 years like do we want to wait 50 years for this stuff to happen like, no like we know the research is out there you know so why would we keep doing things to ourselves just because the the slow feet of the government hasn't actually created any sort of legislation or laws or regulations or standards or anything around it, right? The reality is, is that the CDC and the EPA and all these governmental entities, they have to be really, really careful about what they say, right? They have to have like, uh, you know, they kind of have to cover their asses. They have to have outs in what they say in case somebody pushes back on them or there's a legal issue or whatever. There's, There's just a lot of that that has to happen and so because of that it's really hard to just look at what they have to say blindly and take it as as truth and i used to do that too for a lot of stuff but i know mold so well and i know the stats so well that i can look at this stuff and i can see what they're saying and i just know that it's not true and it just kind of makes me question everything which is a topic for a whole nother conversation but i want to talk to you specifically about this about mold so i was going through uh the cdc website pulling some information for a different presentation i'm working on And um, one of the comments that I saw on the website just kind of like, I don't know, it didn't really blow my mind, I guess. Like I knew it, but it just it just really solidified everything. So um, here is the comment. I want to get the quote right. So it says, quote, large mold infestations can usually be seen or smelled, end quote. Well, guys, that's like 100 percent wrong. (laughs) So... um, the the reality is that most mold issues cannot be seen right this and we've i've been talking about this for a long time because the key that we're looking for is water damage right and the problem is that one mold is microscopic in general um so if you have more of a minimal issue it can still create an exposure problem in the house but it's not going to be a massive visual um uh, you know growth all over the sides of your walls and stuff like that's stuff that you see on the internet when you're looking for mold and the reason you see it is because how do you how do you show pictures of, of mold when it's something that most of the time you can't be seen? So what you do is you take the worst of the worst and you take those pictures and it helps you kind of get your point across. And that's why those are the pictures that you find. But those pictures are the equivalent of like following an influencer on Instagram where all they do is post the highlights of what looks to be their amazing life, but you don't see all of the normal things that happen, right? It's just the highlights. That's all that it is. Um, and so that's all you're seeing in those pictures. But anyways, So that comment that large mold infestations, God, I can't say that word, um, can usually be seen or smelled is totally wrong. So first, most mold is hidden. Usually what's happening when I'm in a house, very rarely am I seeing more than 25% of the potential issues being visible issues. Most of the time it's water damage that's hiding something behind it and in and i've pulled all these numbers as well for this additional uh presentation i'm working on that hopefully side note i'll be able to start sharing with you guys maybe in like a month and a half or so i don't know we're working on it um but anyway 75 percent of those samples that i take from water damaged places where there's no visible mold but there's signs of water damage 75 percent of them find hidden mold um that's just off the last 200 of those samples that i've done i went we went back and pulled them up so The first thing of what they said is just completely not true. Large mold infestations are not something that's typically visually seen. The other piece of what they said is that it can usually be smelled. That's not really true either. So the smell that you get is essentially like an enzyme that the mold creates when it's breaking down its food source. That's the odor that you're getting. What it means is that mold is growing right now. If you smell that smell, it means it's actually eating, it's actually feeding, it's using the enzyme, it's doing it at this exact moment. That's what the smell is. Um, And maybe, you know, it kind of lingers for a little bit afterwards, you know, just kind of like any smell, like if you cook in a kitchen or something. But the reality is, it's an issue that's happening right now. So when you say that you can usually smell it, that's only for something that's happening currently, and that doesn't even mean always. There are times where there's mold growing and you can't smell the odor and because it's trapped in different places and the odor's not really getting out. So when we think about the the first piece of, of the episode where we talk about the 40% of people that are impacted, we know that that number's big, but that number's based off of health conditions that where there's still a lot of mainstream questions on whether or not they're even really health conditions and how you treat them and what impacts them. So, you know, the the governmental, um, you know, kind of guidelines and standards haven't really been put in place even for handling that stuff. So as far as they're concerned, that 40% isn't real, right? That is not a true number as far as like the CDC is concerned. So then when they say something like this, you just kind of get the idea of the lens that they're looking under, right? They're only thinking of the worst of the worst when they put out these statements like this. That's all that they're saying. And it's not really true. So I just want you to keep in mind where we are in the process of understanding the new research and how long it takes for that research to get adopted by mainstream authorities, governments, even just like thought leaders. It takes a long time. Um, and then there's not a lot of, uh, you know, the mold research that's out there that's actually being used by, you know, these governmental agencies, it's all dated. I mean, the, the standard industry guidebook was written, you know, tens of years ago, and they do updates and stuff to it, but it's still leveraging the same concepts that were come, you know, that were put together a long time ago. It's antiquated. Uh, there's nothing really about mold fragmentation and how to clean that and how to deal with fine particles. There's nothing about mycotoxins and any of that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that it's missing, or if it is there, it's really minimal. Um, so I just uh, I just wanted to to share my opinion on some of the stuff that you read, right? We're reading a lot of stuff right now about a lot of different things. And one thing I've said a lot on this show, I say it a lot to my clients, I think about it throughout kind of every, every time I'm getting information or consultation from anyone, is what is their motivation whoever's telling me the information whether it's an entity that wrote it or a salesperson that's trying to sell me on something what is their motivation for giving me the information they're giving me because the truth is guys everything that we read and everything that someone talks to us about is a sales pitch Right. It might not be a hard sale, but ultimately, if somebody is sharing information with you, they're trying to sell you on the fact that their information is correct. They're trying to sell you to believe their information. Right. Otherwise, why would they be writing it? Right. I mean, think about it. Why waste your time if you don't want people to believe what you're writing? Right. So even if it's a CDC writing a blog post about something, it's a sales pitch to get you to believe what they're saying the news is a sales pitch. Everything is a sales pitch. Okay. So if we know that every interaction that we have in life is ultimately some version of a sales pitch, even if you're talking to your friends and they're, tr- and you're having a, uh, a, uh, a, a, like a friendly debate on something, it's a sales pitch. You're trying to get them to believe your side. They're trying to get you to believe their side. If you're telling your friend of a story of somebody you ran into at the, you know, at the store or something, and they were kind of a jerk and they cut you in line. Well, you're selling them on the story so that they agree with you, right? It's all a sales pitch. So with that in mind, you gotta take everything that you're reading with a grain of salt. Um, I'm not gonna get into everything that's going on these days and, and how we need to interpret it and whatever. All I would say is your research should not just be one place, right? um the same thing think about if you were like getting bids for work on your house right so you're researching contractors let's say to come out and do work on your house you're not just going to take the bid of the first contractor you're probably going to get three or four contractors to give you their opinion and their bids and you're going to see if they align with each other and you're going to pick the one that makes the most sense for you it's the same thing with the information that you take in right so you got to do the same thing there too um so anyways uh that is um yeah, I think that's kind of all I wanted to talk about today. So if you, uh, you know, if you enjoyed my rambling, let me know. Um, I know this wasn't necessarily a Q and a type of, uh, episode like I do. Um, like I do, but hopefully these types of episodes to understand where we are in the scheme of things and, and all this stuff is also helpful for you and your mindset as you're dealing with everything, um, and on your path, getting back to health. So thanks so much guys. Uh, I'll talk to you next time.